The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to the elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome back to Brand New Little People, the podcast where we talk about all things early parenting with a particular focus on sleep, settling and crying in the first few years. I'm Dr. Fallon Cook. And I'm Dr. Laura Conway. We are paediatric sleep practitioners at Infant Sleep Australia and founders of Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic program, Sunbelt. So it's so good to be back again for another podcast and we've had some really lovely feedback lately. But I think probably today what Laura and I are most excited about is that our kids are back at school for another term. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will yes, so them. pleased. <laughs> yeah, yep. No, it's it's nice to kind of, I suppose, have a little bit of more space for work. It's tricky trying to juggle work and school holidays, but... um. I actually had a really good time with my kids on school holidays this time. It was really lovely. But, um, but yeah. Yeah, you were able to get away, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I managed to take them up north and they visited their granddad and, yeah, had a bit of time sort of in the sun. It wasn't super hot, but it was, uh, yeah, a lot nicer than Victorian weather, that's for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, and yeah. they travelled pretty well. We had, yeah, a good time. But um, I think they're actually pretty happy to go back to school as well and just kind of catch up with their mates and hear what's been going on. How have yours yeah. gone, Laura? Are they happy to be back or a bit more reluctant than mine? <laughs> yes, uh, they are um, mostly happy to be back. They're really um, pleased to see their friends um, and I think to get back into a bit of a routine because, um, yeah, the uh, daily routine can uh, go out the window during school holidays and those bedtimes creep later and later, particularly when you've got uh, slightly older children like you and I do, primary school and high school age children. Yes. Um, so now we're um, uh, having to think about getting back into slightly earlier bedtime so that we can all function a bit better when we have to wake up earlier in the morning oh, again. Yeah. Mine were not happy to wake up early. I wasn't really either. <laughs> I can't blame them for being cranky <laughs> when I was also pretty cranky. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. I definitely need to bring bedtime a bit earlier for my mob, that's for sure. <laughs> um, and your kids on the school holidays were helping you with something very exciting because we've just moved our Melbourne clinic mm. across to Hawthorne East, but because I live a bit of a distance away, you kind of enrolled your kids to help you with that move. How did that all go? Yeah, that's right. They were very helpful. Um, they um, were helping me pack up all the toys um, so that I could take them into the new clinic. Um, so there was a little bit of work keeping them on track so that they <laughs> didn't start just um, playing too much themselves. Um, and uh, anyway, once I um, yeah got them on um, track with the promise of a uh, hot chocolate at a cafe afterwards they uh, they were really helpful um, oh, and it's just so exciting Fallon to be in the new clinic space yeah it looks so beautiful it is really just such a a calm and relaxing space I think parents are just going to walk in sit down and just breathe a bit of a sigh of relief because it feels like such a 
oh, just a warm and embracing kind of place. And, and it's in such a good location mm. too. When you're saying you've got the kids hot chocolates, it's right near Camberwell Junction. So it's a perfect spot. That's for right. Multiple options. Um, and yeah, hopefully that's yeah, a good location absolutely. for families as well. Um, yeah, parking's mm. really good. And there's literally a tram stop out the front for families that come on public transport. Um, and yeah, it does feel like a warm hug. It's, um, it, it's lovely walking into um, the clinic um, and I'm in the clinic space with a range of um, like-minded other health professionals. There's psychologists and counselors um, and yeah. um, they will see um, families and new parents as well. So um, it's a really nice community space. So um, yeah, excited to see families there this week for the first time. Oh, excellent. Oh, I can't wait to hear how that goes. That's really fantastic <laughs> and so good to have that network of other health professionals around you who have expertise that's probably going to be really relevant to some of our families as well um that's yeah, awesome absolutely mm. Mm. so we we're thinking this week we might have a bit of a chat about what to do um, for those babies that really kind of resist changes to how they are settled so especially the ones who spring awake really quickly if anything changes about how you try to settle them um, and this is a really recurrent theme i think in our clinic, um, lots of parents ask questions about this. So we thought we'd dive into a bit of a case study this week. So you could learn a little bit about mm. um, a mum and her baby, what they were going through, what sort of problems they were encountering, because I think it really will be so relevant to so many of the parents who tune into this podcast. Um, yeah. So this was a family. So we've got, we've changed names, of course, to keep things confidential. Um, so we're going to call this person Claire and she's got a baby called Chloe, who's six months old. Um, and this was a case, um, I think Laura saw some time ago now, a few weeks ago. Um, and Claire yeah. was having to feed Chloe to sleep for every single sleep. So Chloe was really quite reliant on being fed to fall asleep. She would never fall asleep any other way at all. Um, and so they started to follow a bit of a, a slow and gradual approach. So Claire was really keen to get Chloe settling in her cot. I think by six months of age too, often doing a lot of holding to sleep starts to get pretty fatiguing on the back. A lot of back pain can be starting to happen. So yeah, she was keen to get Chloe um, settling to sleep in her cot and decided to go um, with a, a slow kind of gradual approach to make a very gentle and gradual transition to cot settling. Um, Laura, do you want to tell us a bit more about that approach that they were using? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Claire was also going to be returning to work um, in a few months, so um, was very keen to be able to um, help Chloe go to sleep without relying on her, um, particularly when she was going to be starting daycare. And Claire needed to, um, she had a very busy job um, and needed to have her wits about her during the day at work. And so feeding uh, Chloe back to sleep seven or eight times a night just was not going to be a feasible. Um, yeah, yeah you not going to be feasible. Can't do that. <laughs> it's too hard to no, work. No, absolutely. Way yeah. too hard. Yeah. But because she had a few months lead up um, to going back to work, she decided to use a um, slow tapered approach, which is one of our most gradual approaches where um, you meet the baby where they're at. So uh, Chloe was feeding to sleep. So it was about introducing new sleep associations to Chloe whilst she was in Claire's arms. So introducing patting and I think uh, Claire was um, shushing or she may have been humming. Um, 
as she was feeding Chloe to sleep. Um, so at the very beginning, there's not a lot that Claire was actually changing. She was actually adding in the patting and the shushing as she was feeding Chloe to sleep. And every time she resettled her overnight, she would do the same thing. Um, and what she was doing was then establishing those uh, new sleep associations for Chloe that could then transfer to the cot. Um, but the problem that she was then encountering was on moving to the next step, which was about unlatching Chloe before she was fully asleep in her arms um, mm -hmm. and then just carrying on patting her to sleep in, the, in her arms without being um, on the boob. Um, she was finding that Chloe was really resistant to, um, to being unlatched, um, which then was making it very hard to get to the next point, which involved popping Chloe down into the cot before she was entirely asleep. Um, and Chloe really was just springing awake as soon as Claire tried to make a change, such as unlatching her or popping her down into the cot. Mm. And so poor Claire was um, starting to be at her wits end because she just couldn't see a way forward yeah, um, that's and how to continue making progress. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's really challenging because sometimes they're really sensitive to it. You know, even though she's had a full feed, um, you know, and it's just at that point of being latched but not really feeding, you would think that unlatching that baby who's got a very full tummy and still cuddling them and patting them and humming or shushing, that's a lot of support to help them then get off to sleep. Mm. But some babies are so sensitive to that, they get really cranky. Even with such a little change, they can get mm. yeah, pretty cranky and worked up about it. Um, yeah, so we thought we'd have a bit of a chat about what families in this predicament should do. What are the sort of main things you could consider um, to help you make progress past that point? Um, and I think, Laura, mm. when we were sort of chatting about this case, one of the first things we thought of was, is sleep pressure actually high enough for this baby? Um, so sleep mm. pressure is all about the kind of um, the drive to sleep, I suppose. So the longer you're awake, the, the more your sleep pressure is going to build up. Um, and when sleep pressure really peaks, that's when you tend to just fall asleep no matter where you are. You know, you're, you're really exhausted and your mm. brain says, right, enough, you know, it's time for sleep. Um, so sleep pressure yeah. is something we often think about quite a lot in the clinic because we know that if you're trying to change the way a baby falls asleep and their sleep pressure is a little bit low, they're going to push back a lot. You know, they've got the energy to push back for a really long time. Whereas if we do a little mm. bit of work on the timing and we build up a bit higher sleep pressure at bedtime, often they don't mind so much if we change a few minor things about how they're falling asleep. Um, so one of the first things we'd want to think about with this case is, does sleep pressure need to be that little bit higher? And will that then make Chloe that little bit more likely to go, well, you know, I'm not latched anymore, but I'm being held closely. I've got the padding and the humming. And is that, you know, enough support that she can then start to fall asleep without actually having to be latched? Um, mm. And I know, Laura, you were saying, so this baby was holding on to that third nap of the day, even though it was really mm. short, um, Chloe, the baby, was really fighting that nap. So was that something you were talking about with the parent maybe dropping that nap? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, often we will look to see um, how long a baby is awake before bedtime in that last wake period of the day. Um, as babies get a bit older, they can often start to be able to tolerate being awake for a little bit longer. Um, so um, what um, Claire was reporting to me was that um, Chloe was having a third nap, um, but it was getting really quite late. Um, 
Chloe was resisting um, falling asleep and really protesting um, such that she wasn't going to sleep until about 5 or 5.30 even for that last nap and then was only actually staying asleep for about 20 minutes. Um, and um, when we thought about it, um, we realized that Claire was spending longer than 20 minutes to get Chloe to go to sleep um, for that last nap. And it was meaning that really she wasn't um, awake very long before bedtime. Mm. Um, and so that immediately was um, a flag for us to think about um, how is she going to manage um, if we drop that nap can be a scary thing for some parents to contemplate, can't it, Fallon, dropping a nap? Oh, definitely, yeah, because I think, especially with those poor families where that third nap or the last nap, you know, of the day, they just are working so hard to make it happen, and often, yeah, the sleep is actually shorter than the time spent trying to settle them. Um, <laughs> but I think what's yeah. really, yeah, important to consider, and I talk about this so much with the families I see in clinic, is so many parents will say, but I have to give them that nap because they're really tired. You know, they're, they're cranky. They can't make it through to bedtime without it. You know, they're just exhausted. And what we really have to yeah, think and about... making the whole family... is yeah. making the whole family miserable, isn't it? Oh, yeah, so often it really is, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what we often have to think about, though, is take Chloe, for example. You know, she's waking seven or eight times per night. So her nights are really quite broken. She's waking up a lot. Mm. So during the daytime, she's probably feeling pretty rubbish, pretty cranky, pretty tired. So what she's trying to do is catch up mm. on sleep during the daytime after having had such a poor night. Of course she's tired and cranky and wanting to nap a bit, bit more. But what can happen is that often in this situation, babies nap a little bit too much. And what then happens is at bedtime, they can push back for ages and really try and fight sleep. Um, so after a day of you know, having lots of naps, um, they then you know, don't have high sleep pressure at bedtime. So their night is, again, quite fragmented and they're waking up a lot. And of course, the day mm -hmm. after they're playing catch up again and maybe <laughs> having a bit too much day sleep. And you kind of get where I'm going. It's a vicious yeah. cycle that kind of repeats itself. Look, the only way to stop that, though, is to you know, push through, try and reduce that day sleep a little bit. Because odds are within a couple of nights, that nighttime sleep will improve. They'll get a little bit more sleep at night, perhaps wake a little bit less. Um, and then they're starting the day a bit more refreshed and they're a bit more able to get through the day on a bit less sleep. And so a new cycle begins where they have a bit less day sleep because they're waking up a bit more refreshed. Um, and by the time bedtime comes around, they're really tired and really ready for sleep because they didn't overdo it with the day sleep. But the only way to kind of get that, that good balance happening um, sometimes is to reduce day sleep or potentially drop a nap, which can feel counterintuitive. They seem really tired, but actually mm. they need to drop that nap so that that nighttime sleep pressure increases and they start to, to actually get better nights. But yeah, it's really hard for families. I think very challenging to... You know, to start to push for something like that, um, yeah, yeah, can, can take yeah. A bit of I will often just it does take bravery, and I will um, often um, describe to parents how what they're describing, what they're living at the moment, is a roller coaster ride, mm. um, and the um, nights can just be really abysmal, um, and it's affecting everybody. Um, and then the amount of sleep that their baby is getting from day to day can seem to fluctuate widely, you know, with it 
maybe two hours difference from one day to the next. Mm-hmm. And what we really want is to get them off that roller coaster and on a steam train that's just nice and flat yeah, <laughs> and calm. Yeah, and it doesn't um, have to yeah, mean a really to... rigid schedule either. I think that's a lot of, no, a lot of parents no. think, well, I don't want a really time-locked, rigid schedule. And it doesn't have to mean that either. It can just be... Yeah, as simple as having a very rough idea of, you know, how many naps, roughly what time of day you're going to offer them. And for a lot of families we work with, we suggest just having a total maximum amount of day sleep that you don't exceed. Um, And that, of course, is tied up in the baby's unique sleep needs. That's where, you know, we can't tell you what that magical number is going to be via a podcast. You really do have to look at your baby's unique sleep needs to kind of figure out what that maximum day sleep should be. Um, but yeah. just having that kind of rough framework to help you get that predictable daily rhythm. I think it makes life so much easier for parents. Babies tend to be a bit happier. Um, and there's just, it's sort of reassuring knowing that each day is going to be roughly similar to the next. It also helps their, um, you know, the sleep pressure as well. Sleep pressure ebbs and flows throughout the day. Um, and when you're mm. doing something roughly similar each day, it just means that there's going to then be times of day when, Um, sleep pressure is reliably high enough for them to fall asleep. So that's when parents say, oh, you know, every day at 10 a.m., they're really needing that sleep now, whereas it used to be all over the place. Now I know that at 10 a.m. they're really ready for that sleep. So I think that takes a lot of the guesswork Mm. out for parents, doesn't it, when they kind of have a bit of an idea of how the day will play out. Yeah, Mm. and if we think back to Claire and Chloe, um, what um, we were... Uh, what I spoke about with Claire was um, exactly all, all those points about um, let's let's drop that final nap of the day to increase Chloe's sleep pressure at bedtime um, and um, then for Claire to continue using that approach that she had chosen which was right for her and her family um, but with that higher sleep pressure that Chloe would be experiencing Um, there's going to be um, more chance that she is going to respond uh, more favorably to being unlatched and then just patted to sleep in um, Claire's arms. Um, And then Claire can continue to um, move on to the next steps that involve putting Chloe down into the cot before she's entirely asleep Um, and Mm. um, persisting um, with um, those steps um, and yeah. in order to keep making progress. And it's really amazing, isn't it, that often it's just a few minor tweaks to the timing or or just some little thing and you adjust that and suddenly <coughs> progress, <coughs> excuse me, progress follows. Um, whereas a lot of parents just say, this isn't working, you know, let's throw this approach out the window. We need to do something entirely different when actually no you chose that approach Mm. for a reason you chose it because it feels like it it sits right with you know how you would tend to approach parenting your baby um it's probably worth sticking to and it will work eventually but sometimes we just need to make those little shifts to the timing um just to really ensure that there is you know progress going forward and i think that yeah finding that balance can be hard for parents because sometimes definitely you're going to start an approach And after a few days, just go, you know what, this doesn't sit right with me or it doesn't seem to be the right approach for my baby or their temperament or Mm. something will just be telling you this is not quite the right approach. 
And if you get to that point, you know, it's okay to go, okay, we're going to shift gears. We're going to change approaches, try something different. If you're in the Sonbal program, mm. you'd go back to that, the chapter on different strategies and work through that and maybe find something different. But what we tend to say is, you know, if you, once you do settle on something and you think, yeah, this is the right fit for me, try and persist with that one approach. And if it's not quite working, things are a little bit off, then be thinking about, you know, is there enough sleep pressure? Is there a nap at the end of the day that's really tricky and might be time to let that go? Um, you know, those little um, sort of mm. timing changes, you know, can often make a big difference. So, um, yeah, so yeah, once you find yeah. that approach, you feel like it resonates with you, um, stick with it. Um, and usually it, it's going to take them time. It can take a week or so for a baby to adjust to little changes that you're making to how you settle them so sometimes it's a bit of patience and just hanging in there knowing that you know eventually they're going to realize that you know the sky hasn't fallen down and you're still there supporting them <laughs> yeah. so in this case for chloe it was such a small change you know she was only being unlatched before she fell asleep so she was still being cuddled still um you know being padded still being hummed to or, or shushed um, but she reacted really strongly to that change and didn't like it. And that can be challenging for parents because you get sometimes really severe reactions to what are really quite minor changes. And your baby will get used to it, even if they are reacting with a lot of crying and protesting. Um, but what they're looking for is that they're, they're looking to your response. If you stay really calm and predictable and keep reassuring them, they start to realize, okay, you know, this thing, this change obviously isn't quite as stressful and dramatic as what I initially thought it would be. Um, and they start to kind of look to you for your behavior. And if you're just staying calm and persisting, then they tend to settle down and realize, yeah, everything's okay. Um, it's not the end of the world. And, and for some babies, you know, they adapt really, really quickly and others, yeah, it's going to take them a week or so. And I reckon a lot of parents know how their baby will respond. They've usually got a pretty good sense of whether their baby is really reactive, yes. and, you know, gets really worked up easily or whether they're pretty chilled out and likely to adapt quicker. Yeah, that's right. And look, after, um, you know, after you've been trying an approach really consistently, and you've persisted for at least a week, um, if you are still finding that the approach isn't um, leading to the um, improvements that you um, would have hoped, at that point it would be worth considering pivoting to um, a different approach. Um, you've seen how your baby responds um, to small changes um, and perhaps um, it would be worth giving another um, strategy a go. Um, but we, we, um, we talk about walking a fine line, don't we, Fallon, between um, wanting parents to persist, but also listening to their baby's responses and responding to their baby's um, personality and reactions. Um, so what we really um, encourage parents to do is to... Um, be consistent, stay calm and persist for long enough for their baby to learn what the new settling um, process is going to be um, and to give it time, to give the baby time and to give yourself time um, to see the changes and not be mm. too quick to think, oh, after a day or two, this is dreadful, it's not working, and now let's switch to something else. And then a couple of days later, let's yeah. switch to something else. Because then what will happen is that both you and the baby will become more and more confused. 
and it can become more frustrating for everybody. So um, much better yeah, to, absolutely. yeah, if you're going to switch to a new approach, mm. um, that's okay to do, but make sure it's when you have really given whatever approach you started with a red hot go for at least a week. Yeah, absolutely. Because with, like, you know, with any change, it takes practice. And that's going to be the case for, you know, helping your baby learn how to eat solid foods, um, you know, them getting used to nappy changes when they're newborn. You know, there's so many new experiences mm. they're going to have. And at first, they're not going to be so keen on it. And it just takes practice and exposure and that gentle persistence. Um, and they adapt to all yeah. sorts of things um, generally pretty quickly. Um, excellent. Mm. So I wanted to end up um, this week's podcast with a couple of really lovely testimonials that we've gotten from families who did the Somba programs, because I know... Mm -hmm. You know, when my little ones were small, I loved reading about other people's experiences who had similar, you know, difficulties and struggles to what I had. Um, so I want to thank yeah. Rochelle, who sent through this really, really lovely um, review of her time using the Sunbell materials. So she said, I was at my complete wits end with my six month old sleep when I signed up for Sunbell and began listening to the brand new Little People podcast. She says her baby was waking hourly at night and refused to nap in the cot during the day. She said she had very low expectations of the program because she actually felt like she'd tried everything. So she'd even done a five night stay at a sleep school. So pretty intense program there. Mm. Um, and she'd worked with her yeah. maternal and child health nurse as well. But she says, on the contrary, I had so many aha moments with the Sombal program <laughs> and the pieces of the puzzle started falling into place. Um, she was able to see an improvement within days and she says things are now wow. back on track and it has been an enormous relief for everyone to finally get some rest again oh, oh i love that oh. i love that so much yeah. for you rochelle me too yeah you know when yeah, you've well tried done, so many rochelle. yeah when you've tried so many things it can just feel like nothing's ever going to change and when we when we designed yeah. the sombell program and we're writing the content we really were trying to give parents that deeper understanding of their baby's sleep because I think that's really key to making progress, really understanding your own baby's sleep. So well yeah. done. That's so good. And thank you for sharing. Excellent. Uh, we also got this. Yeah, thanks, Rochelle. Yeah, we've got a great testimonial from Sandra as well. She said, I just wanted to reach out and let you know how incredibly helpful we found Sombao and what a huge difference it has made for us. We were not only able to transfer our baby into the cot successfully, but also day naps are an absolute breeze. And this is both at their home and at other people's homes who look after their baby. She said she either sleeps through the night or needs minor assistance to resettle instead of needing to be fed back to sleep multiple times. Really super grateful for the opportunity to have access to Sombell. It gave us the confidence to work on her sleep and we just love the reassurance with examples that it's okay to cater the approach to what you feel comfortable with. And I love that too, Laura, because didn't we spend so much time talking about, you know, we want parents to be able to tailor things to fit their unique baby. You know, so many programs just roll yes. out a few cookie cutter approaches without that guidance on how do you actually tailor something to fit your baby so it's so lovely yes. to hear that, that yeah absolutely yes yeah i love that because we put we did put a lot of thought into that so obviously we have the um a number of kind of approaches which are almost like the skeletons of you know the, these are the this is the outline of how you do the um these different approaches um, and but then we flesh it out with how you can adapt it 
um, based on your family situation and your baby's temperament um, and whether you've got other children that you're juggling, etc. So mm. um, it's really great to be able to hear that Sandra found that um, particularly um, useful and that she's got to the point now where her baby is napping even in other people's houses. Yeah, so that's wonderful. Brilliant. Yeah, it mm. really is. So look, thank you to everyone who's left lovely reviews and given us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it and we celebrate every time we see one of these come through. (laughs) Um, If you have questions that you'd like us to answer in this podcast, send them through. Um, We'd love to hear what it is that you're wanting to learn more about so that we can touch on it perhaps in next week's episode. And of course, if you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, um, yeah, check out Sunbell. There will be uh, a link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening in. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, then you need Sunbell. Sunbell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic for babies aged 0 to 12 months. It contains all the best resources from Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura's sleep clinics, so you can rest easy and soak in your baby. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au. Thank you.